Welcome to the Ecom Profit Podcast. I'm your host, Dawn Sinkula, CEO of Digital Dawn, and I'm so excited to be here with you today. Here on the Ecom Profit Podcast, I open Pandora's box and share with you and other ecom business owners weekly topics that will help you explode your business online. I outline my tried and true secret sauce, the D2D method, that's guaranteed to bring your business results. As an entrepreneur myself, I try to pull out all the same entrepreneurial passions in others. So get ready to be fired up about your business and let's have a great time. Welcome to the Ecom Profit Podcast. Welcome to the Ecom Profit Podcast. I'm your host, Dawn Sinkula, and today we have an amazing, amazing guest that I am excited to introduce you to. Saloni Dashi is the CEO and Chief Sustainability Geek at Eco Enclose. <laughs> I love that title. That's amazing. The world's most innovative provider of sustainable shipping solutions for e-commerce brands. Um, she's passionate about helping conscious companies thrive and pursuing advancements that build towards a truly circular material economy. And I think this is going to be a topic that so many of you have been asking for and talking about, but welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, so we always like to start off with hearing about how you got into this space and how you really started this company. But give us a bit of your background and history so that we know how you kind of got to where you are now. Yeah. Um, so prior to Eco and Close, I would say my background um, was pretty clearly sort of spanning the concept of business and strategy and social and environmental impact. So I spent some time as a management consultant. I then actually worked at Teach for America, overseeing a couple teams focused cool. on educational, um, you know, educational equity and justice. And then I went to business school. And I think in business school, this sort of solidified this concept that like you can use business as a force for social and environmental good. And yeah. so coming out of business school, I started a I started a, a, a social enterprise with a colleague of mine that was focused on um, organic and healthy food, bringing that into food deserts uh, and low and oh. lower income communities. Um, and then I spent some time working in sustainable agriculture, helping farms transition from your monocrop agriculture into organic agriculture. Mm -hmm. And then around that time, um, my husband and I actually started to get the itch to run a business. And so sure. we started looking for businesses that we might be able to acquire. So we weren't as interested in necessarily like starting something from scratch, but we yeah. also didn't have that much money. So we knew that the business that we could acquire was going to be very small, very nascent. Yeah. And after, over the course of three years, we just looked at companies here and there. And then Eco and Close popped up. And at the time, it was tiny. It was four people, like a small mm. set of products but started by this passionate woman who had no interest in throwing it, right? Just was like, oh, I started a cool idea. And so it was for us a no-brainer, um, for him for different reasons maybe than me, but for me it was a no-brainer because it was sustainability. Like how do you make packaging this thing that we see all the time? How can we make it better? Um, yeah. It was this opportunity that I had to actually work with sustainable businesses every day, right? We serve 20,000 businesses every year and all of them care deeply about the planet. So I could sort of engage with them. Um, and then, you know, I, what I really also love about it is that it's, it's, it's a manufacturing and warehousing and distribution business. So I have this privilege of like working with people of, I would say, of all classes and types of walks of life. And that was also right. a passion area of mine. So it was a no brainer. And four months later, we bought the business and Oh my gosh. Here we are seven years later today. <laughs> and here you are. And, you know, I think this is such an important topic that we don't 
talk a lot about when it comes to e-commerce, right? And, you know, we work at the agency primarily with brands that have a, a vision or a mission that a purpose that's bigger than themselves, right? Whether it's giving back to girls in STEM programs, helping with the environment, whatever it is, you're obviously very focused on making a difference in so many different ways. Can you talk a little bit about when you took over what your vision and mission really was to kind of grow and expand this business? Yeah, it's a great question because I would say for the first year, we were sort of like, okay, let's just try to make this business viable because- yeah so small. And I think as we got our bearings, I began to have the capacity to draw from my background in like sustainability and agriculture. And it became like, okay, well, this has to be about something. And so around that time, we actually said, okay, instead of you see the world sort of puts the sustainability stamp on so many different materials and things. Mm-hmm. And for us, we're like, that's not, we don't want to be anything like greenwashing. And so we, yeah. on and we said, okay, like, what is the future? What do we want the future of packaging to be? And we defined a vision that in, you know, 10, 15, 20 years from now, like, what would it look like for all packaging to be circular is what we say. So what if all the packaging in the world was made from packaging and at the end of its useful life, it became packaging again? So like no real new resources and detrimental resources have to be mined and gotten in order to make packaging. And that's Mm -hmm. the end vision. And it's sort of simple, but it's, there's a lot of complexity behind it. Impactful, right. Yeah. And it it was simple enough though for us to say, okay, well now every direction we want to, like every time, step we want to take to make our packaging better. Every yeah. conversation guidance that we give to our customers is now sort of steering in that direction. So it was very right. clarifying for us actually. And it's led a lot of our innovations and our work, you know, over the last. I, I, it is, you know, sometimes the simplest is the most impactful from a vision mission <laughs> exactly. statement. I'm sure exactly. you've learned that and as, as have I, but sometimes we try to make it so hard, but just because that's a simple statement doesn't mean it's easy, right? right. It, exactly. It's a complex piece. So tell me a little bit about now that you've been in business for seven years, okay? And you've probably seen all sorts of things happen from, you know, e-commerce brands or things like that. But tell me a little bit about maybe one of the biggest mistakes that people make when it comes to, let's start with packaging first. Like what, what are some common missteps or, or mistakes e-commerce brands usually make? Yeah. Um, and I'm going to talk maybe about what the common mistakes that they make when they're trying to go sustainable. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a handful, I think, I think I will say that 99% of brands out there are trying desperately to do the right thing. So when people do the quote unquote wrong thing, it is completely well-intentioned, right? Everyone thinks that they're moving in the right direction. I think a lot of people, a lot of brands and people in particular tend to get laser focused on one element of their sustainable packaging and then Mm. forget about everything else. So an example of that might be, or is right now, a lot of brands have said, okay, I don't want to use plastic anymore. And therefore I want to start using an only paper-based strategy. And, but then, and that's so that it's naturally biodegradable, it's not causing litter and it's curbside recyclable. So that's interesting and exciting and a great move, but then they make that move and they forget to, they forget to look at the big picture. And the big picture is that paper comes from trees and and half of the trees that are logged in the world for packaging actually come from what we call like old growth, ancient and endangered forests. And those are like 500 year old trees. Some of these trees are just like majestic, capturing so much carbon. These are like the lungs of the earth. And so what we say to them is like, do everything you can if you're moving to paper, do everything you can to not 
be pulling a virgin tree down in order to make your single-use packaging. So that could, you know, ideally that looks like use 100% post-consumer waste paper to make your packaging. So when you've made this transition from plastic to paper, make sure you do the right thing in that paper strategy. And so that's like one small facet of packaging, but I think that sort of lens or the approach of like, you got to look at the big picture every time you make an improvement. It can't just be that you're laser focused on one thing to the detriment of looking at the biggest picture of the impact. Yeah, I think you brought up a couple interesting points there with, you know, a, a lot of the companies are trying to get into a sustainable package and that they are, you know, working hard towards that best intentions, best thoughts, all that kind of stuff. But sometimes I think too, at least I've heard, that the fear of it being more expensive as well is sort of maybe one of the reasons why people don't want to do yeah. a sustainable packaging or kind of shift from that sort of thing. What What are your thoughts or what do you tell people when they kind of come to you with that objection? Yeah, I love that question because it's so relevant in the world of sustainability. Yeah, right. Um, you know, I think here's how I always answer the question to start by saying if somebody was in the business of trying to get the cheapest possible packaging they could, it is very true that they can find cheaper packaging, significantly cheaper packaging than sustainable options, right? Like there's factories in Asia making very thin sort of cheaper packaging that's like pennies, right? So we're not here to compete with that. Um, Mm -hmm. That said, I think a lot of brands that come to us have been historically buying from Uline, which is like a common place to get packaging. And and what people will find is that we're usually exactly on par pricing with Uline, maybe sometimes five to 10% more expensive. So I would say Uline and, 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 you know, um, staples, like a lot of brands, like marketplaces out there that are selling packaging are selling pretty good, high quality stuff. And yeah. so if you're at that price range, going sustainable may cost you a little bit more. Occasionally it costs you a little bit less, but it's not a dramatic, you know, these are not expensive items right there, 10 right. to 50 cents a unit. So you'll see a slight increase, especially as the markets for recycled content go up and down, but it's not dramatic. Um, yeah. But certainly it's not the way to make your packaging as cheap as possible. Um, I then also usually go on to say like your packaging tells your story, especially if you're in e-commerce. And so make sure that the way, yeah. So like you want to tell the right story and maybe that's a great investment in marketing and branding and storytelling and customer loyalty that is well worth the extra pennies that you might be spending on that unit of packaging. Yeah, that's such a great point. I think so many people kind of forget about the packaging telling the marketing story a lot of times and that, you know, the sustainability piece to that marketing story, more and more companies or more and more consumers even at this point are trying to support businesses, small businesses that are trying to make the earth a better place through their packaging and sustainability efforts. So if you can weave that story into your market marketing and show it through packaging, you're you're winning all the way around, right? Exactly. Exactly. So do do people oftentimes um, you know, come to you saying, like, you know, how do I make this transition or how does it happen in a way if if our listeners are you know, let's call them middle-sized e-commerce businesses where, you know, maybe they've got, you know, thousands of thousands of units that are one type of, you know, how hard is it realistically to go sustainable? And and what does that, you know, is it a year-long process? Does it happen right away? Kind of tell us a little bit about how to think about it. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, there's so many examples of it. So I'm going to just like walk through a couple versions yeah. of that transition. You know, sometimes it's very simple, right? Sometimes somebody might say, Hey, I'm using a virgin poly mailer today. That's, you know, X made in China. Like, you know, maybe here are the X features and do you have a more sustainable option? And we'd say, yes, we can tomorrow put you in a hundred percent recycled poly mailer that can be reused for returns and thin film recycled. That transition is incredibly easy because most people would not even notice the difference, right? It's like sure. your fulfillment center won't see the difference is exactly the same. We can custom brand it if you wanted to. Like there's all the things that we can do. Yeah. Um, so that's an easy transition. An alternative might be somebody calls us and says, hey, I'm using poly mailers today, but I really want to go paper. And so I need to move to a paper mailer. And so that transition is going to be more costly because paper is always more expensive than poly. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, you then we would start working with them and say, okay, tell me about what you sell. Tell me about your yeah. fulfillment processes. I want you to understand you're going to have to have more storage because paper is thicker than poly and yeah. your fulfillment team needs to be trained on how to use it. And But we have like a lot of guidance of how to do that. And so that might become yeah. a more like two to six month transition as you're sort of testing and slowly bringing this product into your, um, your item. So I think there's like when there's a one-to-one transition of you're just going yeah. from like virgin to recycle, 100% recycled, it's easy. But when yeah. you're making like a bigger sort of like values shift, I think we, right. and we're here to help you with that. Right. Yeah. That's, I mean, you've given great examples and, and I think a lot of times if somebody was going to be thinking about this and they were going to try to make a shift, what would be your recommendation for like the first place that they could start making a a difference in their sustainability model from, you know, where they're at today to where they want to be without having to break the bank or start like where, where do people typically start you know, is yeah. it packaging? Is it, I mean, it obviously depends on what you're selling, but what, <laughs> yes. what's the most yes. kind of common thing that you see people, you know, doing to really get on board with this? Yeah. I mean, so when it comes to packaging, the first thing I would say is like, you know, audit your packaging because you're probably using a lot more than you think you are, right? You're using your boxes or your mailers, but you're also using tissue and void fill and labels and stickers and stuff like that. So I would like audit and say, where are you using virgin products? Like if you have any of your packaging that has virgin content, the first thing you could do that's pretty simple is try to swap it out with recycled content. And then I'd also look at where do you might maybe have packaging that's not recyclable and then you could pretty quickly probably swap it with something that is recyclable so those are like easy steps that probably don't break the bank and don't change your operations that much and then you might think oh it looks like I'm using more void fill than I need so maybe I can you know call eco and close and we can start to use less material to achieve the same amount of protection so I'd say Mm -hmm. like that's the second phase of I'm actually going to make a material change to the actual type of packaging that I'm using so that's what I I would say on the packaging side I think in the product side the the easiest thing to me sometimes is again where can you use where can you make these one-to-one switches so if you're like an apparel brand and you don't know exactly where your t-shirts come from and you know maybe you're screen printing like Let's take the first step of, okay, right now I'm probably using like polyester, non-organic blend t-shirt. What would it look like for me to move to a recycled organic cotton blend t-shirt? And right. it's like you know, customers would probably love that. It won't have a big impact on your ability to screen print. It might be a little more, you know, it's like that. Those are yeah. interesting ones where you're making like a non-visual or a, a one-to-one swap of something. Yeah. yeah. It would really make a big impact that way. Right. So you brought up a term that I think our listeners might want a little bit more clarification on if they're not really familiar with um, 
kind of the sustainability model or, yeah. or packaging, what does like virgin packaging yes, mean yes. from that perspective? Or how would I know if I was using virgin packaging? Yeah, great question. And thank you for asking that and making me clarify. <laughs> so yeah, a lot, you know, I, I mentioned at the beginning, like our, our sustainability framework is like getting, making packaging out of packaging. And yeah. so this idea of circularity. And so a lot of packaging out there, so if it's a plastic packaging, it likely was derived directly from fossil fuels or paper packaging is coming directly from a tree. And when those two things are happening, that means it's virgin, that the raw materials that went into it are, were like directly mined or harvested to make your item. Something yeah. that's recycled means that you know, a cardboard box went into the blue bin recycling. It then was repulped and remanufactured into something. Yeah. That something is the recycled item. And so what we yeah. say is like, if you can make your packaging or whatever it is that you're doing with recycled content, you are significantly reducing the amount of materials that have to be mined, the amount of resources, the carbon footprint, because you're yeah. making your items out of something that already exists. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you for clarifying that because yeah. I think a lot of people, you know, don't necessarily know the lingo or yeah, understand totally. exactly what that means. So that I think gives a really good anchor point for people to kind of take a look at their packaging and understand where they're getting it from and whether it is considered virgin packaging or not. So that's yeah. awesome. And chances are if your packaging or whatever item doesn't say that it's made with recycled content, it's probably not. And it's so it's, it's one of the things that it's hard enough to do that anybody doing it would be very clear with you that they're making that effort right. and committing to it. <laughs> they would tell you that they were exactly, doing it. Exactly, right? exactly. Right. So Eco Encloses is, you know, your baby now. And you've mentioned that you've been doing this um, for seven years. You acquired it and things like that. And I know that, you know, working with different companies and, and working at Target even to a certain degree, you kind of want to stand out and make a name for yourself. And, you know, you guys are kind of branching out and really be trying to become one of the best in the industry, right? As, as far as eco brands kind of are there and, and yeah. getting your message out to people. So tell me a little bit about what your key to success has been in kind of standing out as one of the best brands for sustainability products. Oh yeah. What a great question. It's funny because now I look back and I don't think any of this was on purpose, but um, <laughs> mostly that's how it works, right? Like a lot of times yeah. it never was meant to be that way. You know, I have always loved writing, like researching and writing. Like at my yeah. core, I probably should have been like a PhD student and like been writing arcane theses yeah. like all the time. And so <laughs> I have to say like pretty quickly as I started to like map out the vision for Eco and Close, I started to get very deep in these topics of complex sustainability stuff. Yeah. And then I started writing about it. And so if you were to go to our website, you'd be like probably overwhelmed by the amount that is written about packaging and sustainability and like guides to bioplastics and guide to paper and things like that. And I, I think that has at the time I didn't know it. Right. But that is like a, the right way to juice up your SEO. And yeah. so because of that, you know, and because we were probably doing it well before other packaging companies were doing it because it was just naturally just part of who we were, it yeah. allowed us to become, you know, fairly successful from an SEO perspective. Mm -hmm. And and it is only really, I would say in the last two years that we really recognized it and we're like, oh, actually we have to invest strategically in this, especially now that the right. marketplace is more competitive. So now it's like a, a, an engine that we're juicing up in a more thoughtful way. Yeah. Um, so that's probably one. And then I think the other is um, 
because again, like we're just so passionate about this. When people like yeah. call us, when brands call us, like we're just here to talk and consult right. and share. And I think that that probably has created like a little bit of word of mouth of like, just call it eco and close. Like you can buy packaging from them or you could just ask them some questions and that will be great. And I have a feeling some of the reputation of like, they're probably going to try to sell to you, but they're not like here to sell to you. They're here to work right. together towards this end mission. So I have a feeling those are two things that have contributed to our success. Um, being a consultant, you know, having that background that you said as being a consultant probably has poured into the way that you run your business as well, myself included, is that you really want to help support people, educate them, teach and coach them, and then sell them something. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly so, right. And, yeah. and I'm like a really uncomfortable salesperson, and but uh-huh. I'm a very comfortable like, let's talk through this and figure this out together. And so that's yeah. just where we lead. Yeah, that's funny. So if, let me ask you, like, again, I said we have businesses at all stages, right? Kind of that listen to this. And I'm going to shift a little bit more now into like the world of business and kind of some of the things that maybe lessons that you've learned as a female CEO and being in this space is not necessarily correct me if I'm wrong, not as female dominated as, you know, maybe some other spaces are. But tell me a little bit about, you know, this stage where you're at right now. If you could look back and do something different, or if you could say, gosh, if I was just starting off on this path, what what would be something different? Or what would you tell someone who's maybe just kind of going down this road? Um, yeah. Wow. Those are so many questions. <laughs> so many things, oh, right? Oh my God, so many things. Yeah. <laughs> this is you know, one that everybody's like, well, I could well, say like, so much. I could say a lot of things. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. I mean, I think that I'm going to say a couple of tactical things that, yeah. um, and then maybe share some more of the emotional stuff, but tactical stuff. I think I was, I have, we, you know, we're completely 100% internally funded. It's just our family. We yep. bought the business. We've like basically invested our entire life savings into it, you know, mm-hmm. to get it to where it is today. And yeah. so probably I can't imagine that I would have ever changed this, but my ideal would be if I could go back to my former self seven years ago and say like, don't be scared. Don't be scared to make investments. Um, so little things like, we're, we're starting to invest in the process of overhauling our website today. I should have done that two years ago. Like there's a lot yeah. of places, um, you know, we, we invested in NetSuite a year ago and, mm-hmm. and probably we should have done it three years ago. So there's a lot of places where I was so scared to spend money. And mm-hmm. you, when you finally do it, you're just like, hey, I spent the money and I should have just done it three years ago. So my business would you know, it's like that old adage of like the best time to plant a tree was 30 years ago. The right. second best time is today. And right. that is every stage I have been fearful to spend money. And, yeah. you know, now looking back, I wish I just had a, you eliminate fear with, for me, cause I'm a consultant decision-making frameworks. Yeah. So I wish I had just sat down and been like, here's my clear framework. And if it meets this framework, I am going to bite the bullet and I'm going to invest in X thing that feels so daunting and scary, Yeah, um, but it's the right thing to do. Because I think if I had done that, we could be you know, 50% bigger today. And maybe even more importantly, we could probably have launched even more exciting innovations in the space that we're trying to do good work in. So that's probably like my one biggest advice. It's just like, how could I have ever taught my older self or my younger self that? I don't know. Yeah. Um, And then I think the other thing I'd say is that we have gotten very disciplined in the last year about how we hire um, Mm. across Mm -hmm. the entire organization. And I think you know, I'd say particularly at the onset of COVID, we were very much like, okay, like whoever yeah. comes here is, I, I don't think because we were so small also, we just felt like 
we didn't have access to the greatest talent or we couldn't be so, not that we're picky, but you just want a lot of alignment, right? Cultural alignment, work alignment. And now we're like, we have the confidence to be like, okay, no, we're going to wait until the right person comes along. Yeah. Um, so I think that's probably the second. And then the um, the third thing I would say is that I I look back, I've had, I've, I have three kids and two of them I had while running Eco and Close. Yeah. And I think I was also probably fearful to take the time away that I needed. And yeah. so um, so I had two kids and I didn't really take any maternity and I like went back to work the next day. And yeah. I had a period had, like earlier this year where I got extremely burnt out. And I look back and it's like, had I just rejuvenated properly in these other moments, I wouldn't have burnt out the degree to which, you know, I did yeah. and probably took a toll on the organization. So I think as a yeah. woman, especially, it's like hard to take the time totally. and you think the business needs you all the time. And now right. I look back and I'm like, I really did everybody a disservice by operating in that way. Yeah. So I heard you say fear is was one thing, maybe a framework for making decisions as kind of the next. And then kind of self-care and burnout a little bit and making sure that you're not getting to that place of burnout by doing self-care or rejuvenating. Is that right? Would you yep. say? And then I talked of, about hiring and like and the, hiring the being, joy that I now have having an organization of yeah. people. Like I can't, I love it. I walk into work and it's like, I love my warehouse team. I yeah. love the managers. I love my front of house, like administrative team. They're all so great. And what yeah. a joy to come to work every day and to have right. that. And that hasn't always been the case throughout the history of Absolutely. the Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's so important for so many business owners as they start to grow and scale and they hire people or they hire just the right person yeah. for right now, you know, totally. and, and this is the person. So I think those are really good things. I'm going to shift a little again to the motherhood part of, of things and women CEOs stuff. So you talked a little bit about, you know, kind of powering through and, and those types of things. What advice do you have, you know, for being in this space? I think, you know, I've talked about this on the show, being a woman in e-commerce just in general and a woman in packaging distribution is even more unique, right, than than just being in e-commerce. But kind of tell me how, you know, how have you tried to like break out or what things have you done as a mother and as a female to continuously push yourself forward? Um, yeah. Well, and, and sorry, just to make sure I understand the question, do you mean like how have I managed motherhood or more like what have I done to make a good name for myself as a woman both. in a space that's sort of dominated by? I think both. Those are okay. both great, <laughs> okay. great ways because we, ha- I mean, it, they're both kind of intertwined, right? To each other to a certain degree. But tell us a little, let's start with motherhood first okay. and, and how that's been for you. Oh, motherhood. Anybody who's listening who's a mother is like, <laughs> I don't even know where to start. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, <laughs> I, I, this is, here's a, here's something I've started doing in the last three months that has been really good for me. And I think I would, again, I would like to tell my former self to have done it, which is just, I don't work at night anymore. So yeah. I think as a mom, especially with like whatever age kids you have, you tend to think, okay, I end my work day at whatever time I go get the kids, I get dinner, I do all the stuff. And then from whatever time, like eight to 11, you're like, I got to yeah. log back in. I have so much to do. And right. that's how I would say most women I know work. And yep. I just stopped. And yeah. it's been really interesting because I actually don't think I'm getting less done. You know, I'm right. sleeping I was just going to ask you that. Are you, getting, are you getting less done or are you more efficient with the time that I, you have? I'm, I'm more efficient. I'm canceling meetings that don't, you know, it's like you're, you're yeah. just more disciplined with your time if you have less of it. Yeah. Um, and I'm more joyful. Like every day, you know, I was so tired. I don't think I understood how tired I was until yeah. I actually got some sleep. And I was like, oh, this is, I know how to make better decisions. I know how to manage my calendar better. I know how yeah. to be focused for 60 minutes between meetings 
meetings now to get stuff done. And I used to just always assume I was going to work till from eight to 11. So anything that didn't get done through the day, I was like, that's fine. I'll take care of it tonight. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so, um, so I hope this is a lifelong habit that I keep, but I just think for, for moms, it's like, if you, if you assume at the end of your workday that you're done, I yeah. like what position you're in, right? High or low, like just assume you're done and, and then don't like make the excuse to go back. Like your life will, will like open up of like possibility right. and you'll have joy and you'll, I mean, it makes you so resentful to work at night and to work totally. more than you should. And there's just all of that has sort of dissipated for me. So that's my, yeah. that's my reflection on it, I guess. And I've like loved my kids more. Like it's so yeah. joyful now to be around them I when know. you don't have that. Right. I did that too. I, I made that decision a couple of years ago. Same sort of thing. I was just in in it all the time, nonstop, all the time. And I decided I'm going to go to work, right? And I'm going to go in at a certain time. I'm going to get dressed like I was going into, a, you know, and, and I'm stopping at a, at a certain time. And then I really stopped. And it was amazing how much more efficient I got with the time that I did have and how, like you said, how much more joyful your time yes. off was where you could enjoy your friends, family, all the things and sleep. Big part of it. Part of it. Yes. <laughs> you don't yes. realize how exhausted you are until you actually get some sleep, right? Yeah. With kids yeah. and everything. So and you're two years ahead of me. I'm so excited for you. <laughs> It, it's amazing. So note to self, everyone do that. Big, yes, big exactly. tip there. Exactly. So let's talk a little bit about the the CEO part and standing out from the crowd of this sort of industry. What has that looked like for you? Yeah. You know, I think that actually it has just happened naturally and been that like to be a cut above has yeah. been a little bit easier than it probably should be. And this isn't related to gender or anything. Like I think this is more, there's an old school way of doing things like packaging, like this sort of industrial B2B world that we are in that is yep. like very transactional. It's very, again, it's like not that emotions really don't drive it and dialogue doesn't drive it as much. And I think we've just naturally brought this approach of like, we care about sustainability. We care about our customers. We have dialogues. We're consultative. Yeah. If something goes wrong, like how many times in COVID did an order take an extra six weeks to produce and the customer's freaking out? Like instead of us right. being like, like wash our hands, this is just the way it happens. We would yeah. get in there and we're like, here's five ways that we might be able to address this so that even if it's not perfect, that we can get you through this terrible time that is yeah. the supply chain. And I just think like, that's just naturally how we lead because yep. I think we're just not in that old school mentality. And I think that has been a subtle, but very important reason why we've been able to be distinctive from so many of the other packaging providers out there who, again, are yeah. just like by the book and very transactional. Right. So not even so much in the fe female space, but more in the culture in yes. which and the service in which you provide to your customers makes you stand out more so old school versus new way of thinking. So I think speak. so. It's yeah. funny because I would argue that maybe some of that is sort of like naturally female, um, yeah, but I would be doing it. I was going to say that too. <laughs> I would I be doing a disservice to Kyle, who's my yeah. husband, who runs this, you know, runs this organization with me. Like yeah. we have both committed deeply to that way of doing business. So yeah. it would be a disservice to him to say it's an entirely female mentality, right. but. Sure, sure. But I do think that I think that's a great distinction, though, and yeah. just kind of a new way of thinking, too, exactly. and helping your customers really see that there's another alternative exactly. to that. Um, okay, so as we start to wrap up, here's the big question that I always like to ask at the end. So if you could look into a crystal ball and you could kind of see the future of what your company would look like in five years from now or what packaging would look like five years from now? What would that crystal ball tell us 
you know, the future is going to be? Goodness, I love this question. Um, yeah, well, from let's start with packaging. So nerdy. I love this this part of the question, which is, yeah. you know, I would love to say that um, more and more packaging is reusable. So we launched like a reusable line this year. But how much? Mi- how much? How much of the packaging out there that's single use today can we turn into reusable alternatives that can be in the market for years upon years? Right. So yeah. that's one. I'd like that the pie of packaging for like a maybe ten to fifty or ten to twenty thirty percent is reusable. And then if you look at the remainder, you know, I look at it, the innovations that I want to see is what if, if every, every package that is, is sold or used is made with 100% what they call post-consumer waste, which mm-hmm. is waste from your blue bin has been turned into this packaging. And yeah. then all of that packaging, if it's single use, gets remade back exactly into itself in its second life or its next life. Um, and that anytime there are virgin materials that do have to be used, instead of them coming from fossil fuels or corn or virgin old growth trees, that everything is coming from what I call net regenerative sources. So instead of it coming from a tree, can you turn agricultural waste into paper, which is something that's happening now that we're working on. Instead of it coming from fossil fuels, can you turn algae into plastic? So all of the inputs in it are actually like sequestering carbon and, and good for our planet. And in that way, like what if packaging was actually net positive for the planet, right? We're actually... So Amazing. that's that's the dream on that side. Yeah. And I think for the company, you know, I just um, – COVID has been a hard time, right, for all e-commerce sure. businesses. There were spikes and now there's – you know, I think Bulls, everyone's yeah. coming mm-hmm. down from the spike and it's just been mm-hmm. a tough two and a half years. Um, and I, I just <laughs> really am excited to get back on the like we're focused on innovation and building an amazing culture and company. And mm-hmm. that in five years, if we've, you know, some of the innovations that I've just described, like what if we've brought, you know, a dozen of those to market and yeah. we've got this team that's like, and we've just sort of steady state move towards that and haven't had the like stress of something so dramatic happening. Right. That just would be the dream. Like, you know, maybe we're double in size and we're just like, God, we credit ourselves to help having brought a dozen new innovations to market. And we've got this team that's like committed to this work. I can't imagine like anything more fun than that. It's amazing. That's perfect. Well, tell people where they can find out more information if they want to find out about you or your company, where do they go? Yeah. Um, so our website is ecoenclose.com, E-C-O-E-N-C-L-O-S-E.com. So there's a lot of resources there. If you ever want to get in touch with me directly, please email me. I'm Saloni at ecoenclose.com. So S-A-L-O-N-E-N-I at ecoenclose.com. And then if you're ever just like, I want to get in touch with somebody at ecoenclose, um, hello at ecoenclose.com anytime. But yeah, I, I love hearing from folks. I love talking through sustainability or business or being yeah. a woman in this business, whatever it is. I'd love to. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much. This has been an awesome interview. And I think so many of our listeners have learned something and definitely go check them out. We will have all of that information in the show notes for you. So you can easily click and email and all that kind of stuff. But thank you, Saloni. This was an amazing interview. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, this was so fun. I love chatting. Thank you so much yeah, for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you like what you've heard, I'd be so grateful if you'd leave a review. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you'd like to see if you're a good fit to work with the Digital Dawn team, head over to digitaldawnagency.com forward slash contact and let's book a call. Thanks so much again and until next time.